As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray for illumination. Holy wisdom, open our hearts and minds that as the scriptures are read and proclaimed, we may hear with trust and joy what you have said to us today. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from Paul's letter to the Romans. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals upon their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, surround us with the wonder and mystery of your word and the grace and challenge to be found within it. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How to understand this lesson from the letter to the Romans, this long list of things we are supposed to do. Some of you who pay attention to this kind of thing may have noted that I preach on stories a lot more often than letters and wisdom texts in the Bible. I'm sometimes not sure what to do with these long lists that sound like lots of instructions. What more is there to say? So I'm a bit out of my comfort zone this morning, and, and that's okay, and maybe today will be a relief for some of you who are ready for a break from the stories. But these letters are important to talk about as well, I admit that. Eugene Peterson is a writer I like a lot. He reminds us that Romans is meant to be a book for regular people. Endless volumes of biblical scholarship have been written about the letter to the Romans, but it was originally meant for regular people, church people, many of them who couldn't even read the letters. 
People looking for help in their daily lives. People who had to go about regular things like preparing meals and raising children and going to work, and they wanted to follow Jesus as they did it. So here's an opening thought to try to put this complicated list of admonitions in conversation with something pretty regular. My children, like so many of your children and grandchildren, are involved in youth sports. As they get to be a little bit older, I have noticed that the game and the practice itself, as well as the coaching tactics, are beginning to change. What was just a lot of haphazard running around a field is being replaced by hard work and actual building of skills. <laughs> and as for the coaching, the days of, that's okay, buddy, give it another try. Well, they're being replaced by a lot more of, what do you think you're doing out there? <laughs> and this same dynamic shows up in a lot of parenting activities, doesn't it? We all try to figure out how to balance positive reinforcement with the need for decisive corrective action. And while growing up sometimes means a little bit less encouragement and a little bit more correction, throughout life, regardless of our age, most of us continue to need some of both. Religion is the same way. There's a need for both encouragement and correction for unconditional love and also for reminders that God has real expectations of us. Across the landscape of the worldwide church, the, the emphasis differs. Here at Knox, we talk a lot more about the unconditional love part. But a short drive up I-71 toward Columbus will remind you that hell is real. <laughs> and although I would not ever make that slogan a sermon title of mine, I do believe that a mature faith requires both encouragement and correction. And so I've given today's sermon the title, Convicting or Aspirational. Today I'm going to approach these words of Paul as a text that gives us some grace and encouragement as well as a kick in the pants, and we're going to talk a little bit about how both are important. Now a major challenge, at least for me, about this text is that there is so much here. There are 29 injunctions in this passage telling Christians how to live. Harkening back to my opening example, it reminds me a little bit of my son's baseball team, on which they have four coaches who spend most of the game hollering various instructions onto the field all at the same time. Scoot back! Scoot up! Look ready! Relax. <laughs> Good eye. But you can't get any hits if you don't swing. You get the idea. Is this supposed to be what it's like to read Paul? Who could possibly be held for res responsible for all the things Paul is telling Christians to do? And this is just half a chapter of one of the seven books in the New Testament attrib attributed to Paul. 
One interpreter I read in preparation for this week advised the preacher to focus on just one, or maybe at the most, two or three of Paul's admonitions and to go deeper with those. But I didn't agree. I thought you'd see right through that. First of all, I I felt that if I did that, most of you, having just heard the reading, would wonder, okay, Adam, but what about the rest of it? What about the part of the passage that was interesting to me that you never spoke about? But in addition, it seems pretty obvious that this selective approach is not what Paul had in mind. If only one or two or three of these are important, then why write down all the rest? He clearly thought we should hear them all. So perhaps, having said that, we are all feeling completely overwhelmed by the list. I know I am a little. And here, I think, is the beauty of Paul's seemingly impossible challenge to us. Even though nothing of what Paul says here should be ignored or left behind, I don't think we have to take it in all at the same time. Every one of us is different with different strengths and gifts and challenges, and we evolve through different seasons of life during which we have to be challenged and encouraged in a variety of ways. So I think it's okay to read over this passage wondering what speaks to me right now, today, and to try to hear what God is saying to you. So in a way that probably no preaching professor would recommend, I'm going to spend just a few minutes this morning kind of briefly meandering through all of the ideas in this text, telling you a bit about the ones that grab me. Not all of these same things will grab you, but it may be that for many of you, one or two will resonate, and you'll choose to think or pray or talk with someone else about one of them later. And that would be good. Let's begin. Paul starts, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Let love be genuine. If you're looking for a way to contextualize the whole message, all 29 injunctions flow from that. Let love be genuine. We can find the list of 29 injunctions to be overwhelming, or we can allow ourselves in reading this to be washed over with the spirit of love. I think about this Patrick O'Brien novel I've read. It's about sailing in the 18th century. 80% of the nautical terms in this book make no sense to me at all. But I don't stop every time that I meet one to look it up, I let the prose flow over me, kind of like a whole symphony in which I'm not reading any one part. And I kind of think that's the point. No one reads 1 Corinthians 13 overwhelmed by its 19 injunctions on love. We just let the poetry flow over us. Why not do the same thing here? So that's our starting point. Paul goes on, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. 
mutual affection is hard, even in really loving relationships. It is often the case that one party is feeling more love than the other on a particular day, and then in a different season, this pendulum swings back the other way. How can we try to be gracious at times when we are not the one feeling the love? Do not lag in zeal, he continues. Be ardent in spirit and serve the Lord. Zeal, ardent behavior. Easier words, perhaps, and welcome to people who have these character traits and for whom they come naturally. Harder for those of us who may be more emotionally conservative. Everyone's different, and that's okay. But serve the Lord? There's the convicting part. I suppose every one of us, each in our own way, needs to figure out how we will do this. You can serve the Lord in a lot of ways, but pick something. Rejoice in hope, Paul continues. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. The last two are pretty straightforward insofar as they are actions. Contribute to needs. Extend hospitalities. These are things that we can go and do. The first three can be really hard. Rejoice in hope, even when everything in life tells you to be hopeless. Be patient in suffering, almost never easy, and in some situations, not a very healthy thing to tell yourself or to recommend to somebody else. Persevere in prayer. Well, that one's easier, unless you're currently feeling hopeless or enduring suffering. As Paul goes on, the challenges get worse. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. (sighs) The person in the family or at the office or in the neighborhood or on your child's soccer team who you wish would just be, would just stop being so hard to deal with. Bless them. These instructions are a tall order in suburban America to say nothing of what they're like in a war zone or a refugee camp. Some of the commands of Christianity are extremely difficult to put into action. On the other hand, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, do not claim to be wiser than you are, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all, and... After all of those, the part of this passage I really like. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
Now this I like, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you. Finally, after this long list of difficult injunctions, Paul comes back down to earth and sums it up with a reminder that every one of us is human. And none of us will get all of this right. Do the best you can each day you have. Maybe Paul's version of Christianity is not so impossible as we thought. And then after that, another one in which the harsh language may, may be frightening to us, but actually what Paul is saying is really nice. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I like this one. I like this one even more for how many of our lives have at are at times overwhelmed by our desire for vengeance. And if you can't quite own the word vengeance for yourselves, most of us can at least relate to resentment or a desire for payback, the way that it eats at you when a wrong has been done and you find it so hard to forgive. Let it go, says Paul. Some things in the world are going to remain unfair and not quite what you want them to be. Let it go. Give it up to God. No, if your enemies are hungry, says Paul, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Now, getting to the conclusion of the passage here, I'll end on a lighter note. Most preachers are completely confused by that one. How will feeding my enemies heap burning coals on their heads? And what does this phrase have to do with the rest of the passage? It's okay to admit when we don't know, and if anyone can explain this one, I'd welcome an email this week. <laughs> and the conclusion. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This, in some ways, is the sum of it all and the bookend to where we began. The intro was love. The conclusion is not to be overcome by evil. Both are such a tall order. Some days we wake up ready to overcome all the evil we may meet, to overcome it with good. Other days we awake already feeling overwhelmed by evil before our feet even hit the floor. But if we can be overwhelmed by evil, how can we live with genuine love? This really is the challenge of following Christ. It's why we need one another and are not called upon to do it all ourselves. Some of Paul's message is really challenging, maybe impossible. Some of it is inspiring, driving us toward a vision of what life might be. And so it 
caused me to think about this question. Convicting or aspirational? Maybe both. Sometimes on the playing field of, field of life, we need to aspire toward something great, even if fully, fully achieving it in life is beyond our reach. Get back out on the field and try again, son. You can do it. And other times we need to be convicted. We need a good old kick in the pants. You call that defense, get your head in the game. And most of us, most of us need a little bit of both. And I pray that if not through my words, through the wisdom of the Apostle Paul, you've been given some kind of a gift in this morning's ramblings of faith to encourage you or challenge you as you have need. Amen.